Welcome back to the Chicago Tomahawk. I'm Mike, and today we have Jay Fresh Hockey on the podcast. He started posting analytics on Twitter last year and has really ran with it. But before we get into it, I'd like to thank all of our listeners. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Matt and I are very appreciative. If this is your first time, thank you for checking us, checking us out. And uh, let us know what you like about it or what you don't like about it. That's, that's fair, too. Give us a follow on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast if you can. And without further ado, here we go. Jay Fresh on the podcast. How you doing, Jack? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Good, good. It's me, Mike, and uh, and Matt. We're the regulars on here, two hosts for the Tomahawk. And uh, we're going to get right into the interview, man. How did so, you get started in, in analytics? Well, it was something that I had found interesting previously, but kind of had just dipped my feet into. Uh, didn't fully understand all the stats that were going on. I, I think like a lot of hardcore hockey fans i was a little overwhelmed by all the different stats out there and all the different providers and everything so you know just in order to teach myself how to use you know some software for professional purposes you know like learning how to use like excel and r and all this stuff uh you know i figured what better way to learn how to use them than to use hockey data you know in the process i ended up building some visualizations that uh were just supposed to be for my own use i thought that they were pretty useful for when you know my favorite team the penguins were rumored to acquire a player so i'd want to have all their stuff in front of me and uh, it turned out that for a lot of other people that was also the case that was what they were looking for uh, as well so i posted it on twitter expecting nobody to have any interest in it and then uh, all of a sudden it kind of blew up so <laughs> when the pandemic hit and there was all this kind of empty space and all the other hockey writers kind of went on vacation for a couple of months uh, i started working a little bit harder on getting more stuff out there and started writing long form stuff and uh, it's kind of blown up from there so it was it was definitely a really quick thing but uh, i think it's also been super rewarding and, and interesting as well so far yeah that's really incredible because to be honest with you when you look at your your twitter page and you look at your your analytics man it does not look like you take any shortcuts whatsoever how long did it take you or maybe what was your process like, you know, doing the analytics, putting the visuals together and then saying to yourself, you know what, I'm going to start putting this out and, and, and see what people think. It was, I mean, it was really quick, honestly, you know, and not to say that any of it was super, super rushed or, or thrown together, but you know, I, I mean, like I said, this wasn't some kind of big entrepreneurial thing that I went out to do. I, I didn't have any, ideas that this was going to be something big or significant or that anybody at all was going to pay attention to it. You know, I put a certain layer of, of polish and an effort into it uh, because, you know, I have a bit of a graphic design background and it was something that I thought was important and that I enjoyed putting together. So uh, I guess that was something that, that helped it along, but uh, it really was kind of a, a quite quick turnaround from when I kind of got my hands on that data, started visualizing it uh, and putting it out there. And uh, it all went super quick. And, and like you said, you know, there's been a pretty big degree of development that it's gone through over the past year and a half since that point happened. But uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of been more of a building on kind of thing rather than starting something from scratch every so often. You mentioned that you're a Penguins fan. Are you from uh, Pittsburgh? 
No, I'm from the uh, the east coast of Canada. I'm from Nova Scotia, so uh, Sidney Crosby is from about 30 minutes away. So he got uh, he got drafted when I was nine years old. So I basically just sat down in front of the uh, draft lottery and let the lottery balls pick who my favorite team would be, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's worked out pretty well. I think I was young enough that the bandwagon is uh, excusable. But, yeah, uh, you're, you got to be a Nathan McKinnon fan too, yeah. right? Yeah, well, I was I was McKinnon's age in Halifax when he got drafted, which you know I have a little bit of resentment there because he basically lived the dream of uh, you know winning the Memorial Cup with the Mooseheads and then getting drafted first overall and then becoming best friends with Sidney Crosby. You know that was my that was what was supposed to happen to me when I was. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he. Uh, you know, I, I was an Avalanche fan uh, back before Sidney Crosby got drafted, and uh, so I, I am happy to cheer for the Avalanche, and and hopefully, you know, McKinnon gets some success there. I'd prefer not to see uh, Sidney Crosby end up there. Like everybody's saying, he's going to when the contract's over. He's gonna always gonna go try to win a cup with McKinnon or whatever. You know, I'd prefer the other no way, way around. I'd like for yeah. McKinnon to uh, demand a move to Pittsburgh, but I feel like that's not too likely. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. You know, just to think that in a few short months, you know, they're they're more than likely going to be playing on Team Canada together. Yeah, it's about time to <laughs> see all these guys play together. Uh, I mean, hopefully it happens. You know, that just a couple of months is more than enough time for everything to go sideways. But <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when they're all standing there on the ice together. But uh, it's definitely something that has been overdue. Who would you pick? You know, let's just say, who would your top line be for Team Canada? So I would definitely have McDavid in the middle. I'd want to have McKinnon on his wing. And then I think it's pretty wide open who you'd want to have as the third guy there. Uh, I think Jonathan Huberdeau is a pretty good candidate for that spot. Uh, just because he plays the game quick, I feel like he could keep up. You know, Matthew Barzell, I think, is also a, a decent candidate, but I don't know whether he'd be able to really adjust to not having the puck on his stick all the time because that's, you know, the way he plays is, like, he gets the puck, he carries it end-to-end, -end, he does everything, and then he tries to find a guy for a pass, and you can't really do that when McDavid is your center. So I, I think there's there's a lot of options there, and I, I would like to see Crosby maybe get one or two shifts with, uh, with those two. But, uh, yeah, I mean, whoever they get on that third that third spot on that line isn't going to be touching the buck too often. So I think you can pretty much put whoever you want. You know, it's pretty crazy. Matthew Barzell is such a enigma to me because, you know, he plays on the Islanders, which isn't really a offensive minded team, you know, per se, like comparative to the avalanche and the prospect of having Barzell on the line with other superstars it's almost like, what will he do? You know, can he play, you know, a different type of game of not having the puck on his stick all the time? You know, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know, because we just really haven't seen it. Like he, you know, if you look at all the stats, like he is the one who does absolutely everything when he's when he's out there on the ice. You know, people always say that he's being held back by the Islanders system, and that's why he doesn't put up big point totals. But, you know, if you watch the Islanders, like you know that Barzell is basically a one-man system. Like he does what he wants out there. So if you put him in a supplementary role, like I don't know if he's going to be like chasing down pucks or you know, waiting for one-timers or, or anything like that. But uh, presumably if he can get his way onto the Olympic roster, which I think he has a shot to, we could find out for ourselves what exactly is going on with that guy when he's not playing with, you know, grinders like Anders Lee or Jordan <laughs> yeah. Everly or, or uh, Leo Komarov. 
you know, which actually brings up the point between, you know, you have people who don't like analytics and you have other people on the other end that, um, that love them. And me personally, I would consider myself right down the middle. I think that they're very, they're very handy, uh, but I like to, to do the eye test. You know, watching the Islanders, I have noticed that Matthew Barzell does, I, I would say that the offense is geared towards him and um, it revolves around him, but I didn't really notice that he has the puck all the time. Between statistics and, and doing the blind eye test, what would you say you prefer the most? Well, I think it depends on what exactly you mean by eye test, because I think there's a, a big difference between what the eye test means in theory and what it means, I think, in practice for a lot of people. Uh, you know, if you're talking about the team that you cheer for, you know, you're watching 82 games of them. I think that that's a, a pretty good standard. But, but you know, again, people who watch all 82 games who have been watching hockey for the same amount of time, they will have wildly different opinions on players. You know, there's there's right. not a lot of, you know, uh, unanimity uh, between guys. You know, some people's eye test involves looking for who's playing physical or who's battling for pucks or who's not turning the puck over. Whereas other people's eye test might be geared towards, you know, who's pushing play in the right direction, who's working in transition, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, among fans, you know, very few of us play the game at a super high level. Very few of us coached at very few of us X's and O's acumen to, to kind of know exactly what plays are being executed and how they fit into a team system and all that kind of stuff. So there's inconsistency there. And and that's, that's you know, only talking about kind of like the strictly speaking, like the, the proper, you know, the eye test, the eye test that comes from actually, you know, watching the games carefully and watching a good number of them. Uh, I think a big reason, and, and it's a kind of often unspoken one that people have with the kind of so-called analytics versus eye test debate is that a lot of time what people will say is their eye test is actually kind of using just more traditional stats and they'll kind of say that it's the eye test so they'll say you know well if you use the eye test you know that player x is really good when what they're really talking about is that he scored 75 points or that you know they heard people on the television say that he's good or they read on reddit or hf boards that he's good you know you see people having these kind of firm unshakable opinions about players who play you know on teams that they watch two or three times a year, you know, you hear people feel like, oh yeah, this guy on the Arizona Coyotes, well, here's my steadfast opinion on him. And, you know, you're pretty sure that this Montreal Canadiens fan isn't watching the Arizona Coyotes often enough to have a fully developed opinion on them. So that is kind of a, a bit of a, a area where I think there's some trickiness with the, the eye test versus analytics thing, because definitely, you know, if you have somebody who is carefully watching, who does have a high understanding of the game, who, you know, is kind of thoughtfully considering what they're viewing and not latching on to more superficial things, then I think that there for sure is a, a great deal of dialogue and interpretation and, and sharpening that can happen from kind of bringing the eye test and the analytics into, into conversation and, and figuring out kind of how they fit together. The question is kind of how to weed out the kind of quote unquote eye test opinions that are really not based on anything that that's nearly as concrete or thoughtful. Very interesting. You know, do you have a player off the top of your head that you would say that everybody says this guy's a stud and you're like, uh, you know what, based on analytics, I don't think this guy is as good as everybody thinks. 
So the one that I had been using for the past couple years uh, was Seth Jones, where I, I, I don't think that he's a scrub or anything like, you know, I'm not going to come out here and say like, oh, yeah, this guy's a total bum and he's going to make his team way worse. And you should you would rather have an AHLer on your team than him. Uh, but I, I think if you look at the stats from the past couple seasons, you do kind of see that he's he's a player who maybe brings a lot in terms of what you would call kind of an eye test interpretation in that he's out there, he's doing a lot of stuff. You know, I've watched dozens of this guy's games in the past couple of years because he's a guy who I've written about a whole lot. Uh, and he, you know, I have absolutely no, you know, I, I understand completely why people look at him and say that guy's an elite defenseman because he's he's out there and he just he does everything like he's he's skating around the defensive zone he's battling guys for the puck he's got his stick in the lane he's kind of he's he's doing a lot that's right he's carrying the puck uh end to end uh quite a bit which i think really catches the eye and because he's a bigger guy the fact that he can kind of skate in that way is, is really eye-catching you know I, I totally understand where seth jones gets his reputation from i just think that there are we weaknesses in his game that are maybe less perceptible uh, because they're not something that would really pick up when you're watching uh, that I think cause his results when he's on the ice to not be nearly as good as you would expect based on his reputation. You know, I think he's a, a good defenseman, uh, but I don't think that he's quite the nine and a half million dollar bona fide elite Norris guy that I think that he's gotten kind of built up to be in the past couple of years. You know what? Would you consider Zach Gorinsky an offensive defenseman? Uh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And, and I think that there are, are things that he relies on Seth Jones to do to, to cover up what he's doing. And, and I think that that's pretty evident whether you're watching him or whether you are, uh, you know, looking at the, the stats would say the same thing. You know, Gorinsky does not grade out well uh, defensively. Uh, but I think that because he's kind of a more dynamic offensive player than than Jones is, I think that it does get a little bit overlooked that, you know, Jones, I think, has not not similar, but kind of comparable defensive issues that aren't really quite as evident to the naked or to just kind of a, a basic viewing, you know, unlike Wierenski, right. who does tend to kind of make coverage errors or turnovers he's trying to do too much with the puck in the defensive zone that kind of thing you know jones thing is more that he is not quite as agile defending against entries so opposing players can basically take the puck into the offensive zone without it really being an issue and which kind of gets jones caught in his end a little bit because his agility isn't quite strong enough to to keep them from getting in uh, and and the the other thing is that be, because Jones enjoys carrying the puck into the offensive zone himself so often, uh, but he doesn't really have those kind of skills once he gets there uh, to do a lot with it, especially kind of off the rush. I think what you oftentimes see is that the Jackets end up getting caught on and rushes against where Jones is up the ice. 
uh, kind of the best to clean that up. But because Jones is so good in his own zone, he kind of gets that explained away. And I think that's why when you see Berensky's results, when he's playing with defensemen who aren't Jones, like when he plays with Gavrikov, when he played with Savard a couple of years ago, they tend to be a little better than they are when he is with Jones because he's not kind of being put into those defensive situations in the same way. You know, it's it's very ironic, which is actually the point that I wanted to make. I wanted to do a comparison because I've, you know, I've been a Blackhawks fan for a very, very long time. And I watched Duncan Keith when, right when he came into the league. I watched him when he played his last game with the Blackhawks. And a lot of things that a lot of people like to say is, oh, Duncan Keith sucks now. He's old. He's not as good. But, you know, here's here's the thing. Duncan Keith played a majority of his of his playing career with Brent Seabrook. Now, Brent Seabrook by no means would I consider an offensive defenseman. He had some offensive upside, but he wasn't an offensive defenseman. He was a, a pretty much a stay-at-home, solid defensive presence, and Keith ran, you know, he... He, he skated the puck up. He, he was pretty much like another winger there. And he scored points and he won Norris trophies. But Brent Seabrook was somewhat the unheralded, you know, Robin to his Batman. And they did that for many, many, many years. And then Seabrook goes down. And then out of nowhere, people are like, oh, you know, Duncan Keith has, has lost his edge. He's not as good anymore, you know. And Essentially, he's the same player. If you put a def- if you put a a defensive, I believe a defensive specialist next to Seth Jones, I think that would make him better. I think that would make him be able to concentrate on what he likes to do: carry the puck, bring it into the zone. While you have another guy back there who can um, who can cover for him defensively, I think will completely change his statistics. And actually, I'm going to make a prediction right now. If he plays with Jake McCabe next year, I think that he's got, his numbers are going to be uh, are going to be much better than they were the past couple of years. And I don't think that Zach Wierenski was necessarily an anchor for him, but I don't think that uh, he did his game any favors. Yeah, well, it's it's tricky because I, I you know, I, I think Jones has quite a few offensive limitations as well, and if he is playing with a totally you know, a kind of defensive defenseman like like Jake McCabe is. And, and I have a lot of time a day for Jake McCabe. I think that he's a great pickup for the Blackhawks and kind of exactly what they needed. Uh, you know, I, the, the thing with Jones and Wierenski is that, you know, I, I, I don't think that Jones really had the offensive upside that Wierenski had or that Duncan Keith had in his prime or even, you know, I, I think that there's, there's definitely some disagreements that that we could have about how Duncan Keith's game has has developed, and I, I think that th- those could be interesting conversations. But you know, Jones as an offensive player, he is a, quite a bit limited in a way that I don't think Duncan Keith was, and in a way that I don't think will necessarily be totally snuffed out by playing with a defensive specialist. And I think that we saw that. You know, he he didn't only play with. Wierenski when he was in Columbus, you know, he played, he played time with, uh, you know, those left-handed guys on there and, and maybe they weren't as good as, as Jake McCabe. Uh, but, you know, I think Wierenski benefited Jones more than he 
hurt Jones in, in, I think, quite a few ways. You know, Jones was always better when he was playing with Wierenski in a way that Wierenski wasn't necessarily always better when he played with Jones. Mm. So, again, you know, the thing is, like, there is plenty of room, like I said, for interpretation on stuff like this and you may well be right you know there might be a systemic shift that works really well for jones uh he might get the leash let off a little bit more than he had in columbus uh maybe he'll get more aggressive attacking the blue line uh which he wasn't in columbus uh and all this stuff might be moot and you might be having a conversation with me next year where you're telling that you were right uh, i just i think in a couple cases there have been there have been excuses made for jones that i don't think hold up to the stats that we have or the kind of more thorough X's and O's analysis that, that guys like Jack Hahn and to a lesser extent myself have done on him. So there's a lot that remains to be seen, but I think in terms of what we saw from him in Columbus, I, I do think that those weaknesses in his game were present and I don't think they were necessarily attributable to his partners. It's pretty incredible, you know, like can it a change a scenery, you know, uh, changing players, playing with Patrick Kane, you know, like how can that, you know, affect a, a player? And well, for, as far as you know, time has gone right now. Anybody who plays with Patrick Kane is is better, but um, it's. It, I'm really interested to see how how this all plays out because there's so many people that are on one side of the aisle and so many other people that are on the other side of the aisle. I'm really looking forward to seeing how a season or even a, or two seasons play out with uh, with Seth to see how it really truly uh, plays out for him. Yeah, yeah, because this is, you know, it's kind of a, a dual thing where on one hand, he is going to a team where he's going to have a lot more freedom offensively than he did in Columbus. And he's going to have more talented offensive players to play with. So there might be an element of his offensive game that does get kind of awoken by playing with guys like Kane and Debrinket and Taves and, and, and those guys who are certainly more skilled offensively than anyone he's played with since Panarin in Columbus. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, I think that we do have to look at the system that Jeremy Colleton has run and how weak it has been defensively and consider that moving from a Tortorella system to a Colleton system might cause the defensive aspect of Jones's game, which is kind of the strongest aspect of it, to bottom out. And he might get even more burnt off the rush. He might be giving up even more of those odd man opportunities. And, you know, again, I, I have all the time in the world for, for Jake McCabe. Uh, he, his job might be a little extra difficult this year if, if that's how things go so you know yeah. the system aspects can really work out either way uh and you know certainly like i have nothing against that jones i'd like to see him succeed just like how i you know i'd like to any player that i ever have critiques of their game you know i always want to see them succeed i'd love for rasmus versus the line into you know win the norris trophy next year and make me look stupid but <laughs> thank god you know. for flurry though for us i think that's a big thing too to have to analyze He's got Flurry to backstop everything if he is going to go crazy and skate it up. And it's just a good good thing to – I mean, he had what, – what's that guy's name? Elvis? Kivlenix. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I'd rather be playing in front of Flurry than any of the Columbus goalies, and I think that will probably make him more confident this year as well. I mean, that's, that's definitely a possibility, you know, yeah, having, yeah, that, um, that, that could definitely help, you know, th thinking of Jake McCabe, you know, he's probably thinking to himself, you know, coming from Buffalo, this, you know, anything's better. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. 
But anyways, excellent, excellent, man. Moving on, someone I wanted to talk about is, what is your opinion on Eric Carlson? So Eric Carlson is is a tricky one. It's also kind of a, a a bummer if you you know not to foreshadow the answer too much. So like last off season, I wrote kind of a big thing on Carlson, where I looked into his stats, not just kind of the wins above replacement type stuff, but I looked on you know how well he's moving the puck, how well he's skating the puck, stuff like that. And what I what I found was that his you know the bottom had kind of fallen out on his defensive game a little bit uh and it was never it was never good you know i think that a, a stats based narrative had kind of emerged about carlson defensively in his prime where the argument was that he was this great defensive player the secretly amazing defensive player and that was based on the fact that when he was on the ice the senators really didn't give up a lot of shots because at that point, you know, Corsi, which is shot attempts, that was that was the stat that was available. And Carlson didn't give up a lot of shot attempts against, therefore he was good defensively. You know, now we have better stats available and we can see, okay, well, he wasn't allowing very many shots against, but he was allowing really, really good shots against. You know, teams were getting odd man rushes. They were getting breakaways. They were beating him to the outside or the inside. Um, and the goals were actually telling a more accurate story than the shots because the, of how good the chances he was letting in were. You know, I think that that's only gotten worse in the past couple of years as his agility has gotten worse. You know, he's he's lost his ability, you know, in a way kind of like Jones to really challenge opponents at the blue line. Uh, they can beat him. They can catch him up the ice. And I think moving to San Jose, a team that is increasingly without players who can really drive offense on their own is leading Carlson to make more kind of adventurous decisions that leave him getting caught up ice. You know, one thing that has has really taken place in the past couple of years is that he used to be a player who specialized in moving the puck from the back end. You know, how often did we see him making these super long, crisp breakout passes that would start the rush, get the Senators going, and usually end up in a goal. You know, nowadays, because he isn't as confident in his forwards in San Jose, and, you know, he's right not to be because they're not very good anymore, you know, he's doing a lot of the lugging. You know, he's kind of carrying that puck from blue line to blue line, and I think he's struggling, really, to kind of make things happen once he gets there. Uh, And as a result, you know, the turnover comes, he's caught up the ice and and his partner is increasingly having to make up for a lot of that. So, you know, I don't think he's completely done. You know, I've been doing kind of these breakdowns of of more detailed stats for for a lot of players and and Carlson still looks great in a lot of them. You know, he's, he's still an accurate passer. He's still, you know, doing a lot out there on the ice. Uh, It really is just kind of a matter of in the overall balance of things, how is he coming out? And and last year he was getting caved in. He was giving up all kinds of scoring chances and the offense wasn't coming. If he can maybe turn things around a little bit this season, uh, I think he's still, he's still a, certainly a very talented player and a, a quite skilled player and a fun player to watch. But I do wonder if those injuries have kind of ruined his ability to be one of those top end defensemen in the league. Yeah, I think that a lot of, in a lot of circles he's still considered or maybe even looked at as Eric Carlson as an as an you know a great defender and I never really looked at him that way. But I never really looked at his analytics other than seeing his stats and he's continually, you know, a minus. 
in the in the plus minus but that doesn't you know the plus minus isn't exactly everything yeah yeah it used to be that he would get so the goalies would get blamed for that it would be well he's he's not allowing very many you know he's allowing so few shots but his goalies have like a 890 when he's on the ice so it's, it's you know it's the goalies fault they were and, terrible well and it, yeah well it's like in, in most cases that's a good instinct to have because there aren't very many players who have that pattern, but Carlson is kind of an outlier in like, he didn't give up a lot of chances, but the ones that he did give up were really, really bad. So I think that was a case where the more kind of eye test oriented people actually were correct and the stats people were wrong, where the stats people were saying he's secretly good defensively. The eye test people are saying, have you seen this guy play? And it, you know, as it turned out, now that we have better stats, we could see that they, that they were right about that. So what's going on, man? What's up in your future? What do you have uh, going on later on down the road? Anything, anything, um, anything new for this season? Yeah. So I am fortunate enough that uh, I, I'm coming back with uh, elite prospects this season. I'm going to continue to be their lead analytics columnist, which means I write about five pieces a month, which will be, uh, a lot of kind of detailed player breakdowns, uh, a lot of analysis of, of news in the around the league, uh, hoping to, you know, again, bridge that gap between stats and eye test and, uh, you know, tell some, I think, coherent and, and interesting stories about what's going on in the league uh, using all the resources available. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have access to services like uh, Instat, for example, which is a, a service that allows you to kind of break down game tape really easily. Uh, you have access to kind of five years of of detailed tape and shifts and goals and stuff for, for players, which which means I can get even more in depth with how I'm scouting and, and doing things like that, uh, as well as kind of more detailed stats of what are going on than are available to the public. Uh, so I'll be doing my best to kind of, you know, just get more in depth, get you know, a, a couple kind of additional insights from what you might be able to get just from the basic public stuff. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And, and I'm hoping that it will be a season with some fun narratives so I can uh, really, really get the clicks going. Yeah, man, I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be a big season. People are really starved for to, to kind of get back to the quote unquote normal of an 82 game season. And I'm sure the players are, too. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in and looking forward to seeing what you what you put out. And uh, we definitely want to have you back on the podcast again. Sounds good. Yeah, you can you can gloat when uh, Seth Jones is Norris nominated. (laughs) Hey, man, I really hope so. Um, Making me nervous, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just, uh, I I, I mean, I I do agree with you. Is he really worth 9.5 million? You know, know, maybe not. But um, getting him was probably the missing piece. You know, we need a, a new cornerstone of the, of the franchise. And, you know, I think that he could be it. Um, you know, Dougie Hamilton got nine million. So, and I think what did what did Rinsky get? Didn't he get nine point two or something like the that? Same. Yeah, he got he got nine and a half as well. I think. Okay, and yeah, then uh, and then Nurse also got nine and a half. Right, That's the, the going rate. Right, I was just yeah. actually going to mention that. So, you know, the cap is supposed to go up in about, I think, ten million in five years. It's going to go up one million every year for the next four years and then on the fifth year it's going to go up five million so by then you know these contracts will probably look like 
you know, maybe like a 7 million contract nowadays. And, uh, and then that's when we'll get, start getting into maybe like the second half of, and actually we'll, we'll be, we'll be in the middle of his, of his contract and see how it, how it pans out then. But, you know, we could have guys making 15 million by that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if McKinnon's agent knows anything, he will be. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a lot to make up for. He does. He does. Maybe he won't take one of those. Uh, He'll home- probably jump over to Pittsburgh. Those, those there you home, go. That's, home the, that's the spirit. <laughs> well, hey, Matt, you got anything else, man? Yeah, I just got a quick little question about Pittsburgh, actually. Um, yeah. So I, I believe they played the Islanders in the first round, correct? Of less? Yeah, yeah, I had blocked it out, but uh, unfortunately you sent it flooding so back. So I've, <laughs> I've been a goalie guy my whole life. I played goalie as youth hockey and up to high school. And I know Pittsburgh – that was their weakness, and I'm just wondering what you think they should do with that situation they have with, uh, I think, Jari, and what's the other guy? I don't even know who he is. Like, uh, just to, to, to Smith. He was he was Smith. hurt, so they couldn't put him in, unfortunately. Uh, he, he's actually quite a good backup goalie, um, and I think might even be ready to grab the starter shot if he needs to. Yeah, like, I was going to say. Yeah. So, I mean, like Jari cost them that series. Like there's really no getting around it. Like they, they would have won that series. Uh, I think probably in five or six games, if they had gotten even average goaltending, uh, like he statistically speaking, like he had the worst playoff series that anyone has had since 2012 when Berzgalov and Flurry, you know, put together that horrible mess in that Flyers Penguin series, uh, nine years ago. Uh, you know, like, yeah, he, I mean, he, he, he cost them that series. There's, there's no doubt about it. They outplayed the Islanders like crazy and, and who knows what would have happened if they had managed to get out of it. But, well, yeah, you know, the it, scouting, it's, it's... The, sorry to cut you off, but the scouting report on, um, was, it was high glove and the Islanders just exposed the hell out of it. I don't know if they were watching, uh, Steven Valiquette's, uh, clear sight analytics. I don't know if you know that, but I got a little bit into that as a goalie and, I just wonder if you you've heard of that too, because uh, I know Ronnie Hextall was a goalie. His <laughs> he was a pretty damn good goalie. His career. I'm surprised yeah. they didn't add one, you know, or even try to get Flurry. That that was the rumor too. But yeah. I, I think they're yeah. definitely a, a good goalie away from being dangerous again. But right now, I just I can't really take them too serious with that that guy that costed them the series, like you were saying. Yeah, you know, a lot of people were real optimistic that they were going to make a big move for a goalie. I was kind of skeptical of it just because, like, I, I just didn't think that anybody was going to take Jari after what happened, and I don't think that they could have gone into the season with, like, a $10 million tandem, you know, if they were going to get Flurry or if they were going to get Darcy Kemper or something like that. Yeah. You know, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Jari's been up and down. He he was real bad to start the season. He was better about halfway through, and then obviously he was a nightmare in the playoffs. Uh, they did, I think, the most important thing, which was firing the goalie coach. Uh, their their goalie coach, uh, their previous one, he left the team uh, after they won the cup in 2017. So that was after the back to back, and then since then their goaltending has been terrible. So do you know who that was by any chance? The guy that they got rid yeah. of, or the guy? Yeah, yeah. the guy. Uh, got rid of. Shoot, I, I don't know off the top okay. of my head. Um, 
which is just as well so i, I don't have to uh shit talk him on uh, <laughs> uh on, the, yeah. on the record but either way you know again like yeah. you, you would know better than me like i am not a goalie guy by any means in terms of the technical aspects of it you know there are sources out there like you like you mentioned Valaket, where yeah. you can get kind of interesting insights so that, you know yeah. yeah especially if you're not a goalie i think that that definitely helps kind of bridge the gap a little bit but you know so i i can't say oh yeah this guy's technique of goalie coaching is bad or anything like that but you know i think the results do speak to themselves speak for themselves in that it has been a huge problem for the penguins and they've had you know i mean matt murray in 2017 he was supposed to be like canada's starting goalie in these olympics like like that guy was like legit he was like one of the best young goalies in the world and and what has happened since you know i think you could theoretically make the case that the goalie coach has something to do with it. It's his responsibility to get the best out of his guys and, and the Penguins haven't gotten the best out of their guys. So I think replacing the goalie coach and, you know, it's not ideal to, to run back with Jari. I don't know how much confidence this team's going to have in him if he's their guy going into the playoffs, but I, I don't think that they really had that much of a choice uh, unfortunately, just because of Jari's contract. So, yeah, I'd say I love all day. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is annoying that that always seems to be the issue with Penguins goalies. That was the book on Murray as well, was High Glove. So, Do you, again, would you rather have Murray or Jari? Uh, including contracts or just in a vacuum? Just, just today. Like, if you had a chance to get Murray back, would you rather have him in that knowing that he did win two cups back to back? Do I have to pay him six million bucks? That's not bad. Did you really think that's a bad price for a goalie? I think was Corey Crawford was well, making around that. Well, it's, it's 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 not a bad price for Corey Crawford. I don't know if it's a good price for for, for Matt Murray. <laughs> yeah, he was real bad in in Ottawa last year. He was one of the worst goalies in the league for Pittsburgh in his last year. Like he has a lot of making up to do. Uh, you know, I probably out of those two i mean I'd, I'd probably just take jari because he's wow. he's okay. he's cheaper and at least you know maybe you can make something of him with a new goalie coach but I, again you know you might very well be right that they do have to figure out who the start like who a new starting goalie is before they could do anything but this was this summer was a real tough market if you were trying to get a goalie like you know the abs ended up having to trade like a first and a second to get kemper because they got left with no one so yeah, yeah. Landeskog, not Grubauer. That was surprising to me. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised that they that they ended up paying Landeskog as well. I, I think that they were kind of it was it was a real kind of tough situation for them where they everything was kind of going so perfectly according to plan, and then they had to pay out these contracts. So we'll see what happens with them. But you know, the, the, the long and the short is that like I mean, goaltending is the real wild card and everything, right? Like that's like the the best laid plans go sideways as soon as the goalie gets into the mix because it's just so unpredictable. So for all we know, Tristan Jari could be a Vezina candidate next year. <laughs> Who knows? Well, maybe Flurry can make Jones a Norris Trophy candidate. <laughs> That'd be awesome. There you go. Too. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We'll see. So, Jack, do you have any? Uh, do you have any shout-outs that you want to give? Uh, yeah. So I, I guess uh, check out uh, EP Ringside, which is the uh, Elite Prospects site that I write for. Uh, you can subscribe to it. You get access to a lot of good stuff from not just me, but also Dmitry Filipovich, Ryan Lambert, Rachel Dory, Mitch Brown, and more. Uh, and as well, if you check out my Twitter at jfreshhockey, uh, you'll see some visualizations on there of, of stats, I'm trying to make them a little bit more understandable. And uh, if you like them, you can subscribe to my Patreon and get access to them for five bucks a month. And that is pretty much it. 
Awesome, man. Well, hey, I want to reiterate, thank you again for, for coming on. We're very appreciative. It was a great conversation. Would definitely love to do this with you again sometime. And uh, you take it easy, man. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks. Enjoy the season. That's all that we got for you tonight, everybody. This is the Tomahawk. We're out of here.